Hey, podcast listeners, FYI CBD, my friend Caleb and my friend John, they are the working forces behind FYI CBD, a safe, legal, and 100% natural way to replenish the endocannabinoid system in the human body, resulting in unparalleled health benefits. You can use promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout right now for 20% off. FYICBD.com. As some of you know, I'm going to be going to the Tello Islands region in Sumatra next year. Well, in the summertime of 2020, just a few short months away, frankly. The newly built Monkeys Resort is a luxury Tello Island surf resort, again, in Sumatra, Indonesia, providing better access to the premier Tello Island waves. And there's a great wave right out in front, monkeysresort.com. I'm going to go surf there. You should check it out too, monkeysresort.com. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Boardroom Podcast, shoot me an email, scott at boardroomshow.com. In 1973, La Costa, northern San Diego County, becomes the most popular local skateboard spot in history. The hillside streets and sidewalks, which have been built in preparation for a new housing tract, the construction of which is delayed for years, becomes a mecca for skateboarders from all over Southern California. And in 1974, Larry Balma, Dave Dominey, and Gary Dodds work on developing the Tracker Full Track, a wider, more stable truck for use in the slalom races at La Costa. Tracker trucks are the first truck that can handle the more aggressive skateboarding that is developing at the time. Dave Dominey is a surfer. And Dave Dominey is a futurist. And Dave Dominey gets stuff done. The Boardroom Podcast with one of the founders of Tracker Trucks and a lifelong surfer, Dave Dominey. Let us begin. You mean Jeff Devine? Jeff Devine, excuse me. Can you speak close to the mic, please? Closer? Thanks. Yeah. Get as close as you can. Are we know, starting? Like, yeah, we're, we're talking. Why not? Because you edit it? No, I don't edit it. You were saying you, were, you listened to the Jeff Devine podcast? Yeah, it was really cool because um, I learned a lot about him and, and a lot of things about the past that he talked about and... Actually, it was the first podcast I've ever listened to. Dude, there's so many great podcasts. By the way, we're you're on the podcast right now. Dave Dominey, the Boardroom Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. I'm honored to be here, Scott. 
Um, well, yeah, there's so many great podcasts to listen to. When you leave, I'll have to turn you on to some. But basically, anything you have an interest in. Like, if you have an interest in baking, or you have an interest in, like, neurobiology, or, like, there's just a podcast for everything. It's a pretty fabulous world of content. It's really cool. Because I'm a history geek, so, like, I listen to history podcasts. Oh, yeah? I yeah. should try that, because I like history myself. Oh, then I've got a killer one for you. Okay. It's kind of a deep dive. Later. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're going to get into our own history right now. Isn't this about surfing somehow? Somehow. I mean, you know, we'll try to steer it that way. Actually, my first question to you is when did you start surfing, Dave? 1962, the, the first time I surfed with a board, that is. When I was a kid, about eight years old in Pacific Beach, uh, we would go to the beach and rent mat, surf mats, you know, inflatable surf mats. They were kind of canvassy things. They are pretty cool. They are pretty stiff, and we rode waves. We had really a good time. I mean, like I mentioned the other day, I mean, riding waves, just it's, it's super fun for everybody, even, even old men with a, a scowl on their face. They're having fun inside. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought you here for a number of reasons, and, and one is because I find your story fascinating in that you seem to have been at the right place at the right time a couple of different times. And the first time was, uh, you know, I, I want to say it's the early 70s, and you can get me up to speed here. It's the early 70s, and the urethane wheel has hit the skateboard market. And this place, the Shangri-La of skateboarding, known as La Costa, was out there. And all of a sudden, wide trucks, thanks to you. Tell me about the beginnings of La Costa and, and that time period when you started skating La Costa and you started making these wider trucks and, and the urethane wheel and all of that? Because that seems like it all, all the perfect storm, you know? It, it certainly was for me because uh, it changed my life as, as it unfolded right then. I had, uh, dabbled in skateboarding as we all did as surfers and in the mid-60s when they had the Makaha skateboards, or at least guys my age. Yeah. Because right now I'm 69. Yeah. And um, I had moved to Hawaii and started surfing, and then me and my buddies were surfers, and, and skateboarding, it had a, a similar revolution because they were all steel wheels, and then the revolution was these comp- composition wheels. And they were like a revolution over steel wheels. Anyway, uh, quick getting back to the early 70s in North San Diego County, where I had just moved from PB in 1971. Uh, Coincidentally, some old friends from that same neighborhood in Hawaii lived up here in uh, North County. And one of them in particular said, hey, man, have you tried these new wheels? Because we had skateboarded together in the mid-60s in Hawaii, just uh, in our neighborhood. And and I go, no, I haven't tried them. And he says, you got to try them. you got to try them. And he took us up. He took him and his friends like they had been doing. He included me this on one like one Sunday. And you, you take a – he had a little pickup truck. And one guy has to roll it down the hills. Well, we go over to La Costa where they had just built all the streets for – all these neighborhoods, and there were no houses and no traffic and perfect streets. And they bust out these skateboards with 
urethane wheels. And it was, uh, this was a big revolution because the combination of those streets and those wheels and having my past experience with steel wheels and composition wheels falling down and scars all over my body. Fortunately, no broken bones, but like everybody else. Um, so we rode these hills, and in groups, we'd ride down, I swear, it was at least a mile, could have been two miles. We'd connect all these streets together and bomb hills and and do a million turns like skiing, and and then I'll jump in the back of the truck and drive up the hill and do it over and over and take turns driving, and it was actually fun. I mean, it's not like surfing, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And and for the listeners that don't know, how, how wide were these streets and, and how um, – you mentioned they were over mile-long rides, um, but they were smooth and wide? Yeah, they were plenty wide. As, you know, you don't need them too wide as long as it's not too steep. Right. And if you encounter a steep section in those days, you would figure out ways to slow down before – because you had to watch it for going too fast because – the equipment, I mean, as nice as the urethane wheels were, the trucks were rapidly becoming the wheat point. And what kind of trucks were you riding in those first couple sessions? These were just evolved roller skate trucks. Some of them were adapted roller skate trucks, like a Chicago truck a lot of people have heard of is simply a roller skate truck riveted onto a plate of steel with holes in it so you could screw it onto a skateboard. Mm. And then there was another popular brand called sure grip trucks which were roller skate trucks that you could actually use the screw holes in the truck and screw them to the board they were all between the wheels they were one and seven eighths inches the, the space between the wheels less than two inches less than two inches between the wheels and everybody was using them and the, the company that innovated urethane wheels was called cadillac wheels owned by Bain, the surf company, and definitely pioneers in the skateboard industry. And we owe a lot to them. Bill and Bob Bain. Bill and Bob Bain. Yeah. Great guys and hardworking, good guys. Yeah. And um, so what happened is they came out with the original Cadillac wheel, and it was not much different than a uh, in size than a roller skate wheel. Then they came out with a like almost a double wide wheel about the same diameter. And then they came out with this thing called a Stoker wheel, which was a larger diameter and even wider. And by the time you put those wheels on these roller skate trucks, you could, for a guy like me, like even in Hawaii, we had widened our trucks. We were already like thinking of wider trucks. Yeah. Or I had a friend who, who actually thought of it and I remembered. Yeah. And then there's there's some other offshoot brands of skateboards, cheapy skateboards that had wider trucks that I'd tried to. And anyway, so the the light went off in my head seeing these gray wheels, seeing and using these gray wheels. We plus braking trucks all the time. We need good trucks. And and did this come directly out of a bunch of sessions at La Costa? That's in. Yeah, I. I mean, would you suggest that Tracker Trucks, the company that you founded with Larry Balma, was manifest uh, on those hills? More or less. I mean, 
it had a lot to do with my whole life's experience and then running into my old friend and take and going up there and doing it a bunch of times and I mean were you guys frustrated you're like we need better trucks no nobody but myself I, I'm sort of that's what is unique about me is I I like make things and and try things and yeah um you're I sort just, of an I, engineer savant in a way and and I'm I'm also fortunate enough to be a pretty good skater a pretty good surfer a pretty good windsurfer and and so I can go from the the water to the drawing board so to speak yeah at maybe as good as anybody. So the tracker truck, um, more or less um, a manifestation of frustration on the hills at La Costa, or am I stretching history here? I, I wouldn't use the word frustration. I'd use the word uh, opportunity. Like I saw that they would work a lot better with bigger, wider trucks, yeah. stronger, wider trucks. Yeah, And that's, that's the... Uh, uh, what do you call the inspiration of tracker trucks? And and I, I had known Larry Bama for years, and I know he knew metalwork, and I know I didn't know metalwork, and I pretty much bothered him until he would help me get something going. And finally, it, it went so well, he sold his fishing boat, and and we were on board together and founded Tracker Trucks, the formal company. You and Larry, was there somebody else involved too, or was it just you and Larry? There was uh, his high school buddy who would, had become a mold maker. Yeah. And right in the beginning, he, Larry and I drove up to his house in East L.A. and presented our idea to him and asked him if he would make the molds for a third of the company. And I, I don't think he's ever had a better opportunity in his life. Yeah. As well as Larry and I. I mean, yeah. For sure. Was didn't Larry have an engineering background too? Or no? Not to my knowledge. Oh, okay. He's a Larry is is an amazing guy and has an amazing hands on uh at making things yeah. like nobody else I know. Yeah. Or knew at that time, let's say. And and um help me out here, but didn't Larry wasn't Larry the founder of Transworld Surf magazine? Yeah, in later years after I sold my shares to Larry in 1981. So I would, we founded it in 1975, so, or maybe 74, but basically seven years, and I was out of there because I, the next story of me. So, but, that, well, this, so from 75 to 81, I mean, you're in like just like a crazy maelstrom of just the skateboard industry just taking off like a rocket, you know? Like, crazy. I mean, it must have just been chaos. It was a wild ride. It was a, a really good ride for me. I'm a really lucky guy. Because you mentioned earlier about being in the right place at the right time. I was. I made. I had the idea of making wide trucks. I found Larry, and we did it. And, and you guys started right here in Cardiff-by-the-Sea. Yeah, just right near your house here on Lake Drive. I had a house uh, me and my buddies rented. And how old were you? Had a little garage. I was 25. You started tracker trucks or 25 in a garage in Cardiff on Lake Drive. And I had a Volkswagen 1962 Volkswagen van just with my surf van. And what a cool time to be in Cardiff. By the time 
1978, I bought a Dino Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was a, quite a ride, no pun intended, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, ha- you guys were very successful, right? Right. Yeah. We also, the moment it, we saw the, the writing on the wall, neither Larry or I stopped working one day. Yeah. Like, you worked your ass off. We worked our asses off. And that's in your DNA anyway, both of you guys, I think, right? And Yeah, it is. Yeah. Larry is still working, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, so this, this mid-'70s hit, the skateboard boom is, is through the roof. Skateboarder Magazine restarts, um, and Tracker Trucks is going crazy. So you're putting out new product. You've got to, you've got to expand your product line. A lot of a lot of you're taking on team riders everywhere. You're promoting your team. You're you've got to create marketing. You're doing all sorts of stuff. You have this half. The, tell me about this half pipe, the tracker ramp, the first sort of portable. It was the first portable skateboard ramp. Well, a little background, maybe skateboarding when we started was just about only on hill skating or street skating on just kind of like slalom surf feeling skating and it started making sure certainly there was i think there was pioneers like in la the Dogtown guys started riding pools and and it it trickled down our way i, I honestly don't know where things started but it's an interesting question start, right who, people who started skated the first pool probably it's it's like it's the sixty thousand dollar question a lot of people claim it and I mean, it's neither here nor there for this conversation, but I find it fascinating because to me, it seems like I think a lot of people all kind of did it right around the same time, not realizing they were in a parallel universe. They were all doing this thing, you know, without knowing the others were doing it, riding pools. I think I'm sure that I don't know. And I think that things do happen pretty much at the same time, a lot of times, very close to the same time. And... The point right now about the ramp is is skateboarding started evolving to uh, pool skating, and then ramps started as like quarter pipes. You would just go up and do a kick turn and come down, and then somebody put two together, and it became half pipes. And then this company in in the Miramar area was a, a steel fabrication company and they started working with some skaters like Chris Stropel and Tom Inouye right, right in this area making half pipes out of steel frames and Lexan uh, surface. So w- they were clear skate uh, skate spots, clear, uh, clear in that. See-through. You could see through it. And uh, what was the surface like? Was that surface hard to skate on, or was it nice it was, and grippy? No, it or was, was it actually slippery? fine. Yeah. The urethane wheels are amazingly adaptive, even to that. And uh, half pipes, it turns out, as well as pools, are super hard to ride. Yeah. Because they later things evolved to having a flat spot in the bottom where you could react to getting off one wall and set up for the next wall. Mm -hmm. But half pipes and and real pools, it was like boom, 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 boom. You know, it's like you had to be a really good athlete. Yeah, instant transition. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the guys that could really do it were really amazing athletes. Yeah. And um, 
Anyway, this shop's making these steel-framed Lexan surfaced ramps in Miramar, and I was taken down there and skated it and with the guys. And these guys, one of the products they made was trailers. And so it's another right on in the right spot at the right time. My mind, anyway, works good sometimes. And um, I said, can you make one of these on a trailer? And I drew him a sketch of how it, it, it is built. To, it was built, you can see in the pictures. Yeah. And uh, it turned out great. Did the trailer limit the size of the ramp? Did you go, okay, look, this is what we got trailer-wise. We have to make this ramp fit in this. Well, yeah, you have to meet the the uh, the California laws. Vehicle laws regarding. The size. So it couldn't have any any more vert. It didn't have any vert. It was just a, a true radius that ended. and Because um, by the time you fold it up, it met the height limit. Yeah. And the width was maxed out as well. So, so this ramp, uh, I know there was one anecdote you were telling me about. Um, well, I mean, there must have been liability issues with this thing, right? This, first of all, was the ramp like a big hit where people were like, oh, man, you gotta, we got to go skate the tracker ramp. Like, were you getting a lot of pros kind of like hemming and hawing to get on this thing? Or were, after they got on it, were they kind of like, uh, not so good? Yeah, the... The limitations of being a trailer made it, uh, it wasn't very big and it didn't have any vert. And so the big shots weren't so excited about it. Yeah. I let, I would let people skate on it and so that it did get a little more use than, than just for showing. And, uh, one of the times a guy broke his arm and, he had his lawyer contact us, and it just it blew the whole deal for uh, us. And we sold it. We actually sold it to Vans Tennis Shoes, and they they toured the country with it hmm. with a guy named Everett Rosecrans, and they would do BMX and skate demos all over the country. So, so Tracker, you and Tracker parted ways in '81. You're like. What made you leave in '81? Were you just did you see the writing on the wall? The skate industry fading away, or recession, or the skate industry did fall back almost simultaneously with me starting windsurfing, and it wasn't really a factor until I saw this video of a friend of a friend of a friend a friend of a friend's video. In the, in the beginnings of riding waves at Hokipa. To me, what it was the most amazing thing to see these guys were going out and catching waves and looking down the line and making rides that we could never make without, without power. And so I had just learned the basics of windsurfing, and I see this video, and I'm a surfer. I, the whole My whole core base is being a surfer since... 12 years old in Hawaii and to me that it just made all the sense in the world knowing how waves are made by wind they're made by wind yeah and that and you have this little sail and you can catch the waves and have power on the waves and go back out it made all the sense in the world to me yeah one more thing happened was 
But but let me. Oh, I, excuse me. No, no, you're doing great. But I just so you're at Tracker and you're just sort of disenchanted and you're kind of like and as at the same time you're seeing the sailboard thing take off. Well, a little of each, because uh, skateboarding was was backing off at this time, and and it and Larry and I were so used to being in such demand, and there wasn't as much demand for us to do stuff and. We had done everything we could to try to make more sales, and so all we were doing is is just like bumping into each other. And I was getting stoked on windsurfing, and yeah. I just more or less bowed out. Yeah, I made it really. You just easy. go to Larry and go, "Look, I'm over it. I'm done." Yeah, and, and you yeah. you take the. We had already started making windsurf products at Tracker. The first we made some boards and booms and different things. Oh, really. So the, with are, the tracker you, name on him. Right. You already had the sort of the bug. And so I just said to Larry, I, I'm willing to take a chance on windsurfing. You want to take the skateboarding? And and he did. And in the end, and so you, you moved it was a Mac- real good decision for him, not so good for me. Oh, really? That's interesting. Because so, he, he eventually cashed out with tracker and sold it to some corporation, right? I'm not sure. In the end, yes, but he actually owned it and ran it through another boom. Oh, okay. And which wasn't long after I left, it boomed like crazy. Oh, with like the Tony Hawk generation. Well, Tony Hawk was. It was his second, his second, second round. The second running of Tony Hawk. I was one of his original sponsors, and I spotted him in a contest. Stacy Peralta and I. Stacy actually came over and said, "Dave, have you seen this guy?" And I said, "Yeah, I've been watching that guy." And he's and he goes, "I already got him on my team." And, I, <laughs> and he goes, and I go, "Well, I'm going to get him on Tracker." And then I think Tony's probably still on Tracker, you know. Yeah, and Tony then must have been like ten years old or something. He was just this tiny little kid, but he stood out. It was when they had a skate park in the middle of Mission Valley under the bridges. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe it was the Oasis Skate Park. Yeah, and um, a big contest. And this little kid, he had a helmet with a little beanie on it, a little ball thing on this helmet. Probably really intuitive to make him stand out, if nothing else. Yeah. And um, because it stood out. I I remember being able to spot him and talk to him about other guys. And um, How did that go down? You just approach him or his father or something? And you're like, hey. Eventually, I talked to both of them because he was. You were telling me about. We were talking about Tony Hawk approaching him or his father about getting him on the tracker team. Yeah, of course, at his age, he he was young. And part of a lot of these kids' success is that their parents take them to these things because they don't do too much traveling without their parents. Yeah. And I got to know Tony's dad, and we took as good a care as, as Tony as, as we could, and he appreciated it. Yeah. And, of course, we appreciated him. And at this point... Nobody knew Tony was going to go where he went. Yeah. A great story in itself. And Tracker, more or less, I mean, you have a a, – what's cool about Tracker is you've got skaters that started a skate company. And I think there were some other trucks like the roller skate companies that you mentioned. These people aren't skateboarders. They're just some toy manufacturer in Chicago or whatever, you know. And so that's kind of neat, right? And that's, I think, why it has a foundation that it has and why it's kind of held its own – Throughout what we you know we're going on forty or fifty years or whatever it is of skateboarding, 
more. Um, do you think that that has something to do with it, like the authenticity of the guys behind the company? Well, I always hope so, but I I see some other companies and in other industries over the years because I've been running after tracker. I ran a windsurf company. For what was that windsurf company again? I'm, Streamline. That's right, Streamline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and a very famous company, an accessory company, right? Tell me a little bit about Streamline. Streamline. You moved to Maui. I did not move to Maui. Oh, but it. At the time, I got into windsurfing and, dis- and was enlightened as to how windsurfing was getting into waves on Maui. It turns out my wife at the time, father, had a condo on Maui. And so I had free free car and place to stay on Maui, actually between the North Shore and Honolulu Bay. So I'd, I'd wake <laughs> up. the window? <laughs> I'd wake up early in the morning and drive in the dark over to Honolulu Bay. And get a couple waves b- before it got crowded, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll never forget some of the waves, of course. But, uh, and then in the, in the afternoon, go over to the North Shore and windsurf. Yeah. Wow, that's a pretty good scene. So, it, but you were doing Streamline here out of what? Somewhere in North San Diego County? In the beginning, it started small in my garage in Cardiff. I had a house on Cambridge over in Cardiff looking over the ocean. And then as it grew, I got into another industrial facility in Sorrento Valley Yeah, and ran it there for years. And then I changed the business because I was trying to do all the manufacturing in myself, all hands-on in my little machine shop. <clears throat> and I got frustrated with employees and logistics and so i decided i was only going to sell to distributors as opposed to distributors and stores so there's only a handful of distributors in the world as as compared to hundreds of stores i decided to only sell to distributors and to farm out all of my manufacturing just because one of my um, talents is is drawing making drawings of mechanical parts eventually doing CAD and mm-hmm. so I would I would just send I would design parts and send the drawings to different machine shops and and molders and different the different fabricators that I needed to work with bring them to my shop and assemble them and so I would just run a strictly assembly and storage of inventory mm-hmm. and it made it real real simple streamlined if you will yeah <laughs> The same thing, I don't know if the same thing, windsurfing was really struggling to find a, its place because... Wasn't it booming? Wasn't it just like it, over it, the top, 1982, just crazy? It did boom for a while and, and picked me up really well, and I was doing great, and then it started floundering on, on, the, on that level. It's still very popular, it's still incredibly popular to this day but as an industry a lot of people jumped into it and and diluted the the products or the the work that I was trying to do and which was accessories right yeah well what were you making a streamline were you- accessories connotes like making different little 
things that go along with windsurfing. But what I did is manufacture what, what I'd call components. Okay. So they were the universal joint. Yes. Which is to this, the, I came out of the original design in the in the back of my tracker shop made with urethane, and eventually the entire industry went to that design, which is what everybody uses to this day, and that was from back in 1981. Did you patent that? <laughs> and I it certainly seems like I should have, but uh, the patent is a whole nother conversation. Yeah, I that, know. it's easy to get around, right? Or they're real expensive to have powerful ones, and then you got to have a lot of money to protect them. And yeah. So anyway, it it seems like it would have been lucrative to patent that, but in any case, I gotta uh, be happy with the honor of making a good design. And um, does the sailboard industry acknowledge you as somebody that did that? The or? sailboard industry is not together and mature enough to have anybody to acknowledge anything. Yeah. It's they just, they have we've had a lot of really great people come and go yeah like amazing like, people Ed big Angulo. contributions who who are some of those people in your opinion too many to name maybe too many to name and they they're just I don't think anybody would recognize yeah, them. Yeah. a lot of them yeah. they're the the people behind companies that came and go and there's a lot of reasons that companies don't make it it's not just not just good people's companies succeed. There's a lot, of course, reasons. Yeah. And um, I know the only reason tr- Streamline succeeded over the years is just my hard-nosed persistence on and insistence on continuing. And I, I always uh, made big problems by taking off and going windsurfing all the time. It's really hard on a business when when the principal is gone. But um, I made it work. I made it work for 27 years. I ended up selling the company for a good price, and it's now based in France. Where, and believe it or not, France and Germany is the biggest where the biggest windsurfing enthusiasts are. Wow. And really, Europe more than the United States by far. Why do you think that is? I think it's it's a good question. I I think Europeans just happen to like sports like windsurfing. They happen to like like uh, Formula One racing or road racing compared to drag racing. As who knows, hmm. they like soccer, not football. I, well, it's maybe there's just a, a there's certainly a sailing culture in France, a big sailing culture in France. You know? Yeah. So maybe and, and I don't think you can argue that there's a massive sailing culture in the United States. Certainly, there are hubs such as you know the Northeast has a big sailing culture, and maybe even San Francisco. So maybe that's part of it. We're just so large that it's hard for a niche sport like that to sort of have a culture that's big enough to support, be supported by the entire nation. And part of what it is is we're Americans, and we we have a lot of stuff to do. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't know why, but I know it's true. And we somehow the the way things are going, we have a lot of people with time and money. We're lucky. We're lucky people. So after I think you said seventeen years of Streamline or twenty seven. Twenty seven. Okay, twenty seven years of Streamline. That's a long time. You went through a lot of ups and downs regarding the industry and the cycle that the industry went through, and you sold. Well, you and I spoke pr- 
pretty intently about Stanley Plaskunas. Did he have a something to do with tracker or did he have something to do with sailboarding or where does Stanley Plaskunas fit into your story? Stanley and I met before tracker and we were both construction kind of guys. We were, we had a, a mutual friend who had money and would fix up restaurants and we met on a job site and Stan really we we're, there was a group of us but Stan really stuck out of my mind we were all surfers us guys hardcore and um but the the leader the the main guy on our that was running our our job said he wanted a a wave over this bar this bar in PB a giant i mean giant wave i mean like 60 feet wide and 10 feet high. Radical. And Stan just ate it up. He just looked at this. It was a corner bar, and he looked at the space, and he goes, okay. And he just went to work, and he framed out this bitch and peak wave pitching out over the bar. And uh, I, I learned that how, how amazing Stan was that he could just envision that and then frame it out and do it. And, and it was a wooden frame, and then... And I was like working behind him, and I I was like doing laughing it, you know, with expanded metal lath and mm-hmm. and rebar so that it could be plastered, yeah. stuccoed. Yeah. And uh, Stan just kind of left ragged edges, and he had the shape perfect, <laughs> but he kind of just like walked away from it. With, was like half done, uh-huh. but he had the perfect shape. Nobody else could have done what he did. And I went up there and made this bitchin' perfect lip on it <laughs> and made all the curves work. And uh, Stan came to me and goes, man, you did, you made that work for me. And I said, I compl- we were complimenting each other. And I think that's the foundation of our friendship to this day. Yeah. And... Uh, Hey, a quick break in the podcast. Tell you about FYI CBD. You're going to want to get some of this. Use promo code BOARDROOM20 at the checkout for 20% off FYI CBD. According to 2013 review published in the British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology, CBD soothes nausea and vomiting, acts as an antioxidant to reduce free radicals that cause neurodegenerative disorders, and works as an anti-inflammatory to reduce swelling. FYI CBD, it also stimulates appetite and relieves pain. FYICBD.com, use promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout for 20% off. FYICBD.com, check it out. And what happened later down the road is uh, maybe 1979 or 80 when I was rolling in the skateboard thing, he, he was said, Dave, you got to try windsurfing. you got to try windsurfing. Because he had been to Spain windsurfing, and it was real popular, and uh, he was teaching windsurfing, and even he said, so, you know, on the beaches, the girls would be topless, and you'd have to teach them to windsurfing. He was just like, just like really happy about windsurfing. <laughs> sure. And, um, and I, I go, nah, you know, it's like the ads were like, do it on a windsurfer, and you'd see a guy standing there, and it's like, no, no, I'm not, not going to do that, you know. Yeah, it didn't then, excite you. And then he, he kind of kept it up. Yeah. And then he said, there's some boards down at the bay. We can just go down there and you just try it. <laughs> and um, so we, uh, I finally gave in. And on the way to the first day of windsurfing, 
Stan, he's a nut. He's he's a great nut, and he's like, you got to learn the bowling, the, how to tie the the, the best knot. knot in the world. Yeah. And I go, what do you mean? And we're going Windsor, and then he's all, you, you got to learn to do this, and. The, <laughs> what he liked about windsurfing it was miniature sailing. Yeah. And I didn't get that until we went out there and I and I realized that the winds coming say from the north and what if you want to sail to the direction where the winds coming from and he showed me how to tack back and forth and get upwind. And then how it was all significant going upwind, downwind, crosswind and learning all these yachting terms and he had taught me to tie a knot and then on the way home he's going you know Dave what windsurfing really needs is a strong universal joint on this is my first day of windsurfing yeah and um i was a skateboarder surfer and yeah. i mean he's like, you need a strong universal joint and i'm all like oh, okay but for some reason i kept trying to learning to windsurf more and more and I, I went into my shop at Tracker where I was tinkering with trucks and wheels and Larry and I would make stuff and we'd make boards. We were doing everything. And uh, I made a universal joint out of a piece of urethane or what I thought a prototype. And I had two pickup trucks at the time out in the parking lot. And I went out and hooked them together with this universal joint. And I pulled one truck with the other truck. And I go, well, that thing's strong. You know, yeah. like, that was my my real formal test of this joint. <laughs> and then I, I made it into fitting onto a board and a sail and started trying them and handing them to all my friends. And and then next thing you know, people like it. And I, I start figuring out how to make them. And, um, and about this is the time when Larry and I split up and I started making these universal joints and and as it I evolved the design into thicker and bigger and stronger and and learned a lot and went windsurfing all over the world and talked to everybody and and are, are you getting are you getting orders from the big manufacturers like the I want to say like High Fly or I some of these names I, even I forget even Porsche started making boards and Bic and Bic's the um, big one so are you getting Orders for your no, universal joint from no, them? they they were used to paying like, you know, a dollar fifty for a universal joint, and I wanted like fifteen dollars. Yeah, and they weren't gonna talk. They don't. They weren't interested. They just need. They were building the complete product, and I was already in my mind making components like, like in skateboarding we. Were, it was a component, the trucks. You go to the store, you buy a deck, two trucks, and four wheels. And in windsurfing, you go buy a board, you buy a universal, a boom, a sail, and a mast, and go windsurfing. Also, there are other things like yeah. fins and foot straps. Yeah. Monkey Surf Resort. That's right. I'm going to Monkey Surf Resort. I'm excited. I'm psyched. I've already ordered boards. It's going to be pumping, we think. Either way. What's not to love? 12 days in Indonesia, Sumatra, surfing, lounging, reading books, playing guitar. Oh, my. Monkeysurfresort.com. The newly built Monkeys Resort is a luxury Tello Island surf resort in Sumatra, Indonesia, providing better access to premier Tello Island waves. Monkeysresort.com. There are four villas, eight surfers. If you book the entire camp, 
Only eight surfers are involved. Monkeysresort.com. Great waves, luxury living, monkeysresort.com. Check it out. Now, back to the podcast. So anyway, that's so plus Stan, goodness. sort of, Stan, I've thanked him a million times. Yeah. I mean, he is the inspiration of my business of windsurfing. Yeah, that's And cool. getting me to windsurf. Yeah. You're sort of in retirement mode, aren't you? You're sort of just like, what's next for Dave? I'm in retirement mode for a couple reasons, not to mention I'm 69 and I worked my, my butt off. But in 2009, my whole life was changed for me. And during a surgery, the surgeon managed to cut my vertebral artery and caused me to have a stroke. So out of the blue, I was having a, what was described as a routine surgery. Um, I've had to learn to live with a loss of my balance and a loss of the coordination on my left side. Wow. Uh, fortunately, I'm alive and, and I'm very healthy. So Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and whine, but my surfing and bike riding and things, it's over. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's a hard, yeah. hard thing, but there's a lot more in life, fortunately. Well, as we know, there seems to be this evolution with, with riding waves or the concept of riding waves and surfing took you to skateboarding and then skateboarding took you to sailboarding. And then sailboarding is sort of created, in some ways, it, it sort of helped with the stand-up paddle phenomena in that we had these big, thick, wide boards. Um, did you get involved in stand-up paddling on any level when that first, like 2001, 2002, right in there? Well, I got to tell you something, Scott. I had just, because... Well, if you don't mind, I'll take yeah. the long route a little bit. Yeah. Like being on Maui so much, it seems like that's where stand up not maybe didn't start, but it got real popular right then, right? Sure. In that era, and um, I uh, I came back over here and I was trying to learn about stand up, and um, I ran into this guy on the beach in Cardiff. And it was you. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> and, and I was trying to figure out what size board to use, what size paddle and everything. And I and I saw you, you were ripping out there on a stand-up. And I watched you come in and I walked over to you. And Scott, you're one of the nicest guys <laughs> I've ever met through surfing. And and I, I just loved your openness and, and, and that you're willing to share some – it's not not often not every time you you run into a surfer that that that's willing to talk and share. Yeah, and um, I appreciate that and thanks a lot. Oh, cool, thank. You. I didn't. Um, I don't recall the conversation, but I'm glad I came off good. No, it was just kind of. It wasn't a big deal to you, but yeah. I was really looking for like the dimensions because I was just didn't like this big board I was on, and I wanted. Again, like windsurfing, I didn't want to just be a stand-up paddler paddling around. I liked what you were doing, riding waves, and because that was my background, that was what I want to do. Yeah. And um, and you you just man you, because like in Hawaii, you didn't see it that much riding waves, because it was only a few guy, a handful of guys 
that could handle Hokipa, and there isn't that many little spots around to see it. Yeah. Unless you're over on Lahaina side. But um So what 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 do you think is next? I mean, like I was kind of going down the the the, the way that riding waves is evolving, right? And so we went to stand up and of course now the the crazy cool thing is foiling and I've had some conversations with you about foiling and I can see the twinkle in your eye when I talk to you about it. And is there a, like a spark that you have like is there a design like are you still intrigued by um, get, getting into the shop or even sketching, I think, probably for you, like sketching out new components or or something like that? Well, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm trying not, not trying really hard not to work. So I, I want to I would like to find somebody. I don't I don't know what to do about my ideas these days because I tried to work with Stan and it was Stan and I were when I sold my windsurf company we were going to make a foil company and it was just turning into looking like too much work I have to I have to not work because it, what happened to me yeah um I tried working for 8 years or whatever it was and it wasn't going very good for me and so, so I sold my company so anyway Stan Stan's actually making a foil for Streamline for the guy for the guy that bought my company and hopefully that goes good but in my mind in my mind I really wanted to work on some some evolution of foiling so obviously there's some pretty severe drawbacks to foils and the way they are today and I'm I'm really surprised that that if you know where foils even came from Certainly, foils have been in sailing and in even motorized boats for a lot of years, for decades. But this new phenomena with surf-related foiling, by the way, you can uh, these surf-related foils. You, they've been used by by toe surfing and wind surfing, kite surfing, and paddle just standard paddling surfing and stand up paddle surfing you almost you can almost use the same foil for all those <clears throat> disciplines and it's it's really opened a lot of doors for a lot of people and and for me it's made a a lot of i've had a lot of imagination I would love to be a participant, but that's it's just not in the cards for me anymore. Yeah. Because man, it looks fun to me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I remember back in the in the mid eighties, we would have I had some surfboard fins that had a foil on them. And the idea was, hey, it's gonna give you lift. You know, lift is a good thing. Um but I'm not so sure with in regards to surfboards that although I think a little bit of lift is good. You either want the board engaged, the rail engaged in the wave, or you don't. So it's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. In other words, to get tail lift from these fins might seem good, but how's it going to affect what my rail does, and so forth and so on. I remember Bobby Owens had some fins like this too, and a lot of guys on the North Shore and in Hawaii were experimenting with this concept. So what I was saying is now we've got this combination of, of – like it's all really coming to a head. Like 
shorter boards, the foil, getting the board out of the water, just the foil surfing the the way the the power that's kind of underneath the the surface of the of the ocean, and now this. Um, these wings, these small sails that like guys like Kai Lenny that everyone has seen online, it, it's, it's like, it's all coming together. You know, the, the, the foil, the surfing, the sailboarding, the wind, all of it's really kind of coming to a head. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. What do they call it? Wing surfing? Or do you, do we even have a name for this? Wing sail. Wing sail. And it's with a foil. It Does is, it have to be required? With? But it's not required. The, the thing about foils is once you're out of the water, the the your drag coefficient or the friction is gone, and you don't need a very big sail. You don't need much power to. That's why you can ride just ripples. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. if you even if you paddle in or stand up paddle in, and and you get once you get up on a foil, you don't need much to keep going. Because there's no friction, yeah, or not no friction, but very little, a lot less, yeah, the ratio, and so it is, in my opinion, all coming together. And I have no idea where it's going as much as anybody, but I would love to make some plays in the evolution. That means I'd have to do a lot of work, and I'd need a whole lot of money. And right well, now, what I'd, would you do? I have a retirement, you know, that, to look out for. <laughs> What would you do? I would work on the evolution of the wing sail. The wing sail is is an evolution of in the old days, like in the early eighties, like a guy was invented the the wind weapon. It was more or less a, a, a windsurfing sail with no with two bottoms, two windsurfing sails connected at the bottom, and you would hang, you would hold it just like a wing sail. Only see, it had like rigid mass like you could kind of compare it to uh the original hang gliders were rigid mm-hmm. w- rigid uh mass with fabric sails or fabric wings and that's that's what the original wind weapon was like and then came and then came along parasailing and almost nobody hang glides anymore they just use these soft parasails and then and that's kind of what happened in windsurfing everybody was windsurfing with these rigid booms and mass booms and mass and went to what looked like a lot like parasails you mean and, like kite kite and which is now kite surfing yeah and by the way most of the time you don't see guys riding waves with kite surfing but there's some guys that can really rip waves yeah. Heights. Yeah. You just got to be in the right place at the right time. But there's still a place for windsurfing, riding waves. I don't think kites are ever going to rip waves like windsurfers do. So why is it that windsurfers rip waves more than kite surfers, do you think? It's just a little... More rail in the water? It's just more... It's a longer board? It's, it's, I don't want to get in trouble with either party, but... <laughs> Just watch Aloha Classic 2019 and watch windsurfing today. Yeah, Aloha Classic 2019 on yeah, YouTube. Just YouTube that. Proof is in the pudding. We'll get to see. The thing about kiting is it's, it's a little bit easier. You can get out of trouble. And you, you, can't, you can't get in. I don't know. So yeah. I've seen guys get barreled with kites and the strings just cutting through the water. Yeah. 
the the bottom turns and down the lines with uh, windsurfing and off the lips. This is more power. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's maybe an aesthetic choice. I don't know. Yeah. But, but what about the the getting back to the if you could get your sort of your future thinking drawing into this foiling or the or the wing well with the the foil uh, there's two different things going on of course because the foil like i already talked about it could be towed windsurfed kited paddled or paddled or just stand up paddled the foil is going to work for all those all those guys yeah but the wing the wing is the wing sail is another thing but I want to jump back to the foil. Sure. It started with this thing called an air chair yeah. for water skiing. Did you ever look at the video of that? No. Because you can just uh, YouTube or Google and see what, what it was. They were, it was this device that looked a lot like a foil with a chair on it instead of a board. And the guys pulled behind the motorboats and they're up riding the foil. And the, the first I ever heard about it or knew about it, it was Laird Hamilton had hooked one of these air chairs to a board and he bolted like ski boots or maybe snowboard boots to the board so he could stay on the thing and he would tow in. And it was even in some of his original videos of him towing in with a freaking air chair. And the things <laughs> are down. made of all aluminum and they're heavy and they're not. And now they've evolved at least to carbon fiber, light, real foiled out and engineered wings and... At least there's that, but I think there's a, relating to what you're asking me about in my mind, there's, especially when I I like see problems, like I see opportunities, like I said, with the skate trucks, the opportunity is, is borne by the problem of the present day foils. They each have two wings, a front wing and a back wing, and each wing has tips just like the fins on your board. Yeah. And so you're going to have the fins on your board and these four big tips, and they all want to be sharp. Yeah. You know, and then you have the, the main vertical structure, which they call a mast. Yeah. It has a sharp trailing edge, too. And so this thing in the water, and you imagine tumbling in the soup because we're all trying to be oriented toward riding waves, and we know in everything happens riding waves on a wipeout. And imagine tumbling with one of these foils in the water. Yeah. And yeah. I've already seen... There's been quite a few pretty bad injuries. Yeah. And so my mind immediately, that's the opportunity. to. And I would look at making a more... Uh, a safer foil. Yeah. Is there a way, do you think, to make a foil without all of these... That's just like a mast and a wing and that's it? And it's... Well, I and I do, and that's that's in my mind and shared with Stan. But we both know that it needs a lot of money and testing and work. You know, and those are can't the testing be done on a computer? I I have a buddy that designed designs America's Cup boats, and I think most of the stuff they do just on the computer. They do all the simulations on the computer. We could give it a try. I need to be hooked up. You're retired. (laughs) Yeah, like, I at least want a a beer at the end of the day, you know, like, (laughs) before I give it away. 
Well, um, Stan's certainly done some pretty cool stuff with George Greeno um, regarding even like defense industry stuff with a deployable rescue vehicle, rescue boat. He's done some cool stuff, so I'm sure Stan's- Before that was windsurfing. George was quite a windsurfer, yeah. and he would build his entire rig. He would build his sail. He would lay up his mast. He would make his booms, and we would we'd go places windsurfing, and George, what a character. You know, yeah. and he'd have these funny-looking rigs, but he would just skim right along and have he, the greatest yeah. time. He was totally into it, huh? Oh, man, he and he was good at it. He had those edge boards, too, for sailboarding, didn't they he? Were like, they were like the, um, knee boards. I don't know how to describe them, but Stan is from the Cliffs, and he was friends also with Jimmy, not Jimmy Lewis, but uh, Stevie Liss. And and that was his group of guys, and yeah. they, and he was in in the pioneering of the fish, and um, they're still buddies, and and that the, the original Greeno, and I've seen these uh, knee boards from those days, and they're like have big foam rails and just a fiberglass bottom. Yeah, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, the, and the that's classic Greeno. Greeno's board, Greeno's windsurf boards were like that. Yeah. I've been to Plaskunas's place up in oh, Scotts good. Valley where all of Greeno's sailboard crap is just strewn yeah. out in this, like, old shed, you know? Like, it's just amazing. Good. I'm this, glad you've been The there. stuff that is just laying out there. And and Stan has his, his workshop there. and But it's just amazing. It almost looks like Greeno just, like, showed up and just made stuff and threw it in the yard and made some new fin and then didn't like that and threw it in the yard like and those had guys, these molds and it's like a skunk a works those guys are two of a kind and they got along well and, and it makes sense yeah and they've they've done some pretty radical stuff we should get all that junk and add it to the museum somewhere i've know? tried <laughs> believe me i went up there to and stanley invited me up and i went up and looked at the stuff and and uh it needs to be preserved. It was certainly just lying around, and well, this conversation and a lot of it was sailboarding stuff. This conversation gives me an idea. Good, but that's one of the points I wanted to make today. Yeah, about relating as a surfer and what windsurfing is, and I don't think windsurfing will ever go away. But what it's done for surfers should be recognized. I know there's a lot of closed-mindedness and surfing and then purestness that people just want to have, like, I'm a surfer, I have a board, and that's it, you know what I mean? And a lot of us, like, a lot of us, uh, starting with Mike Doyle and Robbie Nash and Laird and Dave Kalama and Kai Linney, these guys are willing to try stuff, and they're riding waves, and you can't deny they're really riding some waves, you know? Absolutely. And, I mean, Robbie Nash, windsurf pipeline. Yeah, that guy's you know? incredible. And um, the other guys speak for themselves so well. Like, I don't think it, very few surfers know that Robbie Nash windsurf pipeline. I mean, he did. Another point I might make is windsurfers pioneered Jaws. And I saw a video of Josh Angulo with the lip going over the tip of his sail and making it out. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Sails are, the masts are 15 feet tall. Yeah. And so that's a big tube. And I, the point I wanted to make about windsurfing is um, some of the things that have 
come off of it, including like just writing Jaws and 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 you might immediately look at toe surfing because this group of windsurfers at Pioneer Jaws started this they're the strap crew they were all windsurfers and they started towing surfing at jaws because they were used to hauling ass on windsurfers because you do haul ass you go like sometimes over 40 miles an hour and um they were used to being in foot straps and going really fast and being out in big surf like at jaws because you can get into those waves and out of those waves they brought that to the party of surfing, you know, not not really wants to have anything to do with being towed in, but look at those guys. They were, it allows you to use a little tiny board and stay on, stay on the real steep part of a giant wave. They're even weighted their boards. You yeah. know, we're all into light boards and all this lightweight shit. These guys were weighting. You go into the shops, they're weighting the boards just right. Yeah. It also, uh, I'll never forget being at a, of a windsurf event at, at Hokipa, and you see this way out on the horizon, this kite going downwind, don't going by. Everybody go, there's Laird again. You know, yep. no, nobody had ever seen a kite before. I don't know if he invented him or, or what, <laughs> but there's Laird again. The guy yeah. just keeps trying shit, and so and and I got to know those guys and going back to their shop with Dave Kalama, and Brett Lickle, and um laird and they're tinkering with everything they were even skateboarding they yeah. were like they're like i don't know the lucky they're lucky guys and, and they're the, way open-minded open-minded is the and key, they yeah. really ride waves yeah and just that might be the future is i could see kai lenia and i mean you and i have seen videos of him but that might be the future to riding the small boards at jaws is that wing what do you call it again the wing sail wing sail we're using the wing sail out at Jaws. Like it brings the – so you don't need to be towed in now. You're getting towed in with the power of the wind. now, But you still have the small board, the towing board. It could be. And you could pull into the tube with the thing. It's pretty small relative to how big the mast is that you mentioned Robbie Nash and Angulo was using. I mean, how big are those wing sails? They're only like maybe eight feet. No, they're bigger. Are they? Oh, they're pretty low. But you're just like wiping out with one of those would be a nightmare. Just don't fall. The thing, <laughs> talk, you know, you're, you're talking about Jaws. Is, that's a whole other thing. I, I don't think that many people even are going to do that. Yeah, they're just not capable. But um, is Kai Lenny? I think Kai Lenny's maybe the greatest surfer going right now. When you think about all the disciplines that he's mastered. I, I'm in complete agreement with that. I met Kai Lenny. It was another thing like uh, Tony Hawk. He was a little kid. I knew it, and I knew his dad. I still know his dad as as good as I know Kai. And um, he he was just this little pip squeak. He'd go out of Hokipa on a regular day and be triple overhead, and he was just going for it. Yeah, you know because he was like half the size of everybody else. Yeah, and no wonder he's so good as he is today. And then, but he has such an open mind about, and he's such an opportunity living on the North Shore with his dad, and his dad's such a good influence. His parents, I don't mean to say just dad, because mom is, is there too. And yeah. He has a whole bunch of guys like Robbie Nash and Dave Kalama as a mentor, and yeah. um, no doubt Laird. I, I just haven't seen everybody together all the time. But yeah. um, there's a real, a real good group of people trying stuff over there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, obviously, they have a great playground. They do. 
But especially on that North Shore is windy, you know, so you can throw the wind, all the wind, and then the other, all the wind adapted parts. But the other thing the guys, they really like about stand-up on on the North Shore is doing downwinders. Yeah. Because. Malika Gulch. Yeah, down to Kahului. Seems like you could maybe do the wing, the wing sail and just bail the paddle. Yeah, you do a foil. They're, you can foil the, sailing a foil. Are they doing that? Yeah, that's the that's insane. That just seems because like there's no so little brain. friction. You can ride swells. Yeah, that's like everyone's just bailing the paddle now, and they're all using the wing sail. I, I can't say that. But well, it seems like that's the next step. I mean, it does. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're doing that because the paddle's just a pain in the butt. Well, I know somebody. Some people are for sure. Yeah. Whether. Everybody's doing that. I don't know, but how hard is it to manage the wing sail and to understand how to use it correctly? Some, something I don't know about. Yeah, it, it's it's that tricky. seems like it, a pretty cool thing, man. It to helps, be able helps to have been a windsurfer and a kiter. I mean, you're going downwind, so that affects what you're doing with the sail, right? It almost it's just like a huge spinnaker if you're going downwind. But the the ultimate is if once you hit angles off the wind, it really lights up the power of something like that. Going dead down too much. Wind. No, it'll be good. Yeah. Going dead downwind is is kind of usually it's slow. slow. Yeah. You just need a little bit of an angle to kind of like crank the power. Oh yeah. The, well, the thing pulls. It has. It's shaped. The thing about the uh, that I don't think I got to mention about the 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 cut the wing sail evolved from the wind weapon of the days past. Yeah. And it's it's almost a combination of a kite and a wind weapon. Right, because it has instead of rigid members, it has the, the way the kite air, has, air bladders. Right, air bladders like a kite to make the structure. Right, and the looking at the now jumping back to the future that we're yeah, yeah. alluding to. Yeah, um, the idea with a wing sail with the air bladder, you almost can't get hurt. Right. Yeah, you can leash it to your wrist. You can't, and it'll it's like a float. You're, yeah. you're like, so also you can floats. knock yourself out and you'll get found, you Somebody know. Somebody will find you. <laughs> and then you can leash your board to your foot. And, and if it's a foil, you don't need a very big wing. And, uh, and if the foil, if we could use mine or somebody's invention to get rid of the dangers of the foil, then, and the, and the board itself, a foil board, might as well just be a soft board. I was just going to say, why, the water. why don't we make that board also f- um, out of air, like a, a frame that's filled with air. Well, they have the the inflatable SUPs already, and yes, it could be, or it could be like a giant boogie board. Yeah. And so then you have this soft sail, you have this soft board, you can go out in the surf and get rolled and tumbled and, and screw up and have great days and great rides and, and then just fold it all up and put it in your car and go home. Does the foil need to be hard? Like, could we make the foil out of something like a boogie board foam or something like that? Does I, I it have it, to it, be? I think it does to, in, in order to be small and efficient. Because the, the key to the foil is that it, you lose the friction right. cutting through water. And in order to do that, you have to have engineered foils and um, probably hard surfaces. Components that are going to shed water quicker than like uh, Like on some surfboard fins, you see they, they've tried to make yeah. soft soft trailing edges yeah. and soft tips. Yeah. And th- there's probably a little success in that, right? Maybe. The, uh, the guy in Hawaii was doing it. And, 
and maybe and for safety it makes sense but right maybe some of that can i don't go think on. It, it didn't catch on in the market though i don't think but and and that's that's the argument for <clears throat> what you're saying could the foils be made that way well the foils are doing the same thing as surf fins are doing right only they're doing it on a horizontal plane and creating lift and a, and a, a, a surfboard fin is just cre- making the tail a tail the big breakthrough is can how do we make the foil safe and keep the 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 design and the you know the technical aspects of it so that and, it performs and it still works so it performs incredible yeah that's where that's what you need to do Dave you need to create that well I have it do you I think <laughs> you're kidding but uh, you I, have the safe foil yeah I just don't you don't want to you need to tell Stanley about this <laughs> no I've told Stanley and he he needs to make money yeah not not create around with a new yeah. idea like. We're, we're both. Or are you going to sit on this idea or are you going to tell know. somebody? You need to, to get do. it into the hands of somebody like Kai Lenny that will blow it up. Yeah. You need to call Kai's dad. Maybe talk, I do. Talk to him. If you have the safe – this is news to me. I had no idea when I sat down with you today that you were going to tell me that you've got an idea for the safe foil. Yeah, I have a, a really great drawing of it. And That's, I'll show you that off the record. Well, I mean, but. I don't want it to – I'm not Jeopardize. like not that worried about it. I just, yeah. I never thought about sharing it. So well, you need to share it. Well, I mean, I, I just don't know what to do. I think we need to get it into some really smart skunkworks type guy on Maui or wherever that's gonna <clears throat> be able to tinker with it. You know, and I'm sure Kai Lenny has people like that now because he's he's pretty well connected. So um, in the sailing world, what do you think of that? Like. You go to the beach and it's windy and it's junk surf and you set up this thing and you... You mean my wing sail? You, have, you set up your wing sail and you have your... My boogie boards. Your, your boogie board with a foil. With a foil. I love it. And uh, you, you can... You can uh, if the foils could just be real durable also, like if you clipped a rock or something, it wouldn't... Because the foils are freaking two thousand bucks or something. Yeah, and they don't react too well to rocks. I don't think. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, the, the, there's room. That, that's what I I call an opportunity: room for evolution. Yeah, room for. And evolution. I think that's where it's going, because already guys are learning how to ride waves on foils. And when you can, when you can ride like you you alluded to Jaws or any once waves get big, they have big chops. Yeah. And if you're above the chops and you have less friction... doesn't matter, right? Chops and, don't matter. You have to have control. Yeah. You know, like, it, we it have does to make work. This, Laird, Laird showed us videos of him riding big waves yeah. on a foil already. He yeah. showed us. But it needs, to be, it needs to be adaptable for the everyman. Like, I think that there's a ton of room for evolution, I think. A ton of it. And what about the powered foil? The solar powered foil. Yeah. No? It just doesn't interest me. I, I know. I, I, I agree. There's something about fun. the elements propelling us that's better than an engine in this thing. An engine in this thing kind of feels wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, the the toe-in is on the edge to me. Like but of being wrong. Yeah, know? it's yeah. it's worked out so good because for giant surf. Yeah. There's certain places. But yeah. I think that your wing sail or the wing sail that's out there could solve the problem of having to have a tow-in guy. 
You're going to get your energy from the wind. This yeah. is a question I would ask Kyle Linney. <laughs> yeah. Because. I've, I actually sent him an Instagram the other day. A, d- a direct message to him that said, hey, I'd love to do- get you on my podcast. Yeah. I haven't heard back from him. Yeah, I'd love to listen to that podcast. Maybe you can leverage your insight and get me in there with with Kai. I don't know. All right. Well, let me just say thanks, Dave Domney, for being here and for chatting with me. I always enjoy seeing you and talking with you. You've always got great insights. So thanks, thanks for being on the show. Hey, well, I wanted to say, too, that you're uh, what started as Sacred Craft and now is the, is it called the boardroom? Yeah. Trade show. I think I've always thought it's such a cool idea and I, I really enjoy going there. And the spirit of it is what's happening. Is And it's part of your spirit and it's a good thing we have guys like you. And it's been a pleasure knowing you. And if this helps at all, I hope it helps. Cool. I think it will. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Scott. You thought the leaden winter would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. And you want to take her with you to the heartland of the winter. Mm-hmm.